This podcast discusses difficult topics that may not be appropriate for all listeners. We are not doctors or therapists. None of our content should be construed as medical advice, nor as a substitute for professional help. Names and other specific identifying details are often changed for the privacy and protection of our guests. Our guests' experiences are shared as they experienced them. Opinions may not reflect the opinions of Beck and Ella or this podcast. There will also be adult language used. Lots of it. Listener discretion strongly advised. Hello, and welcome back to our show. How are you doing, Ella? I'm good, Beck. How are you? I am good. I am back from a vacation feeling invigorated (laughs) and happy to be sleeping in my own bed. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, we're happy to have you back. Thank you. And I am happy to have Sam in the studio with us today. Hi, Sam. Hi. Hi. Sam and I have been friends for quite a few years, and um, I did not know the story that she has. I knew some, but uh, I'm anxious to hear her go through it today. So Sam, why don't you start by telling us a little about yourself, where you're from? I grew up in Minnesota, left for um, the Navy when I was 19, 18, 19 years old, which is where I met my narcissist, my diagnosed narcissist, and got four sons. I'm a, um, right now I'm a forklift mechanic, so I work on, you know, troubleshooting and fixing and stuff, uh, everything from like little electric forklifts that you see, you know, buzzing around um, uh, like Home Depots to um, giant diesel ones that work at big steel companies and on docks. So I can talk about forklifts like people talk about classic cars. I love them. That's pretty badass, Sam. Thank you. It they're, is. <laughs> they're super cool. They're like really, really cute. They they look like, you've ever seen like, you know, ants can lift up like, you know, a thousand times their body weight. That's what I think forklifts are like little bugs that can lift up like way things. <laughs> um, so that's what I do for work. Busy mom. Busy mom, yeah. So tell us how you or where you met your narcissist. I met him in the Navy. I remember very vividly the first interaction I had with him. And he played like this hero to me. Um, I was on what's called the jam van. Um, it's It's like a big van. They stuff military members in and they take them from point A to point B. And... Um, he was in there randomly. Like I had seen him around, never really spoken to him, um, acknowledged that he, you know, he was an attractive guy. When I met him, I thought of him as just gorgeous. He had this like angles to his face where, you know, this very sharp nose, very sharp cheekbones, blonde, curly hair, just tons of it and bright blue eyes. So I'd seen him. He was just randomly in the jam van one day and I didn't want to be talked to and people would go out of their way to talk to me sometimes. And I, it was early in the morning and I was like, not an early morning person. I wasn't particularly a people person at that time. You know, the ADHD mind, how it, it bounces around. And if you throw in like the autistic mind, it like doubles down. And sometimes you just say shit, people will look at you and they're like, what the fuck? And my way of, you know, not feeling awkward was just to avoid speaking to people. So this guy was talking nonstop to me. Um, and he was sitting next to me. And anytime I would stop, like I would smile, trying to be polite and be like, oh, that's cool. It's interesting. Um, if I didn't answer back, he would like nudge me, you know, like kind of like, you know, hey, what are you like? Are, what are you ignoring me now? Yeah, yeah. Annoying. Oh, it was very frustrating. Uh, he wasn't like a creep. I just think he had that kind of personality. But Dickhead was in the seat in front of me. He'd turn around, everyone's while, kind of look at us. At some point, maybe he's seen like the look of irritation on my face or he thought 
he always kind of considered himself, once I got to know him better, um, to be a hero. He always loved saving women and helping coming to women's rescue. And, um, you know, my romantic side when I was with him was, oh, he he looked at me and he seen how frustrated I was. And he was like, this poor girl, like, I'm going to help her out. And it seemed like a selfless thing at the time. But no, I'm like, you know, that was just him making himself feel good. Because he he told the guy to shut up. But he was mean. He was real rude to him. I would say bullied him into leaving me alone and moving seats. Um, I said, thank you. And he said, no problem, turned away. And the next time I talked to him was like, gosh, like months later, um, when he told a friend that he was interested in me and w- wondered if if she would give him my number and ask if it was okay. And that was the first time I, I um, ever spoke to him or seen him. It's this little scenario where he's like, stepping in to rescue me. So how did it progress from there? At the time I was dating a guy named Mo. It was a really casual relationship. Mo was an HT, which is a welder in the Navy. And my ex did the same thing. He was a welder. I was really new. I got there in June. I started seeing Mo sometime around July. Uh, and like I said, real casual relationship. Um, I didn't really know anybody. There wasn't a lot of girls at our command because it's hard not to notice a young you know, female on a command filled with dudes. I was also a mechanic, so I wasn't cloistered away. I was out on the tarmac walking around, going on boats, doing work and stuff. So I was, I, people noticed me. And in the beginning was just like texting. And um, we started kind of going on dates. Me and him were watching a movie and Mo tried to break into my room while we were watching a movie together. Um, let I let Mo know the next day who was in the room with me after my ex-boyfriend or my ex-husband was like who is that who's trying to get in your room and I was like uh I was like it's Mo I was like he does this all the time he's a little unhinged sometimes and he was like oh oh no I was like yeah you know Mo right and he was like yeah well not well not well this is like red flags I don't you know um he told me he didn't know Mo very well that that they weren't and I was like well you guys work together and he was like yeah but we barely talk and I was like well okay the next day this fight broke out in the HT cage in the welder's cage between them because it turns out they didn't know each other really well. They were, and he lied about it. My ex lied about it. My ex told me that he didn't know him very well. They were literally like what Mo would have considered to be his best friend. I don't think understands friendship the way other people do. Um, he doesn't, he, I think the minute he, it, Mo didn't, be, his friendship with Mo didn't benefit him as much as a relationship with me would have. He stopped being his best friend. So I'm not even sure he lied mm. um, when he said he didn't know him that well, because he probably didn't know him that well. He probably didn't ever listen to anything Mo ever told him about him. But Mo took him to Thanksgiving at his family's house because they lived, Mo came from Oceanside, um, right where we were stationed. He came from the city that we were stationed at. So he had family there. So he would take my ex to, his family's get-togethers. He introduced my ex to his mother as his best friend. They hung wow. out. Behind. Oh, yeah. They were workout what? buddies. And he told me he didn't know him very well. And when I found out later on, you know, 19, they were a little bit, um, my ex was like, what, if I was 19, it would have made him like 22, 23, something like that. Um, Mo being much older than both of us, but still kind of, you know, in a younger mindset. Um, the drama, you know, he... It kind of just spiraled into this, like, Mo's the bad guy, and I'm good, and, you know, and Mo would tell me, he would call me, and he would be like, I seen, because at the time, we were just dating, but I had expressed to him, I need you to be honest with me, like, I just, I will work, I I will work my way through anything. If, if you want to see other people, um, it's better if you tell me, 
that you want to have sex and see other people along with me because then I can make an informed decision. Um, right. You know, on what I want and oh, of course, of course, of course. And I know I only want to see you. I only want to date you. And, um, and then Mo would call me cause he would have gone to a bar where my ex was at and he would see him with another girl and he would call me and he would text me and I would text my ex and he would be like, that's crazy. You're crazy. He's crazy. He's just trying to get you back. And you know, like I mean, he did it with my friends too. I had a lot, um, military small command, not a lot of females. A lot of my friends were males. The guys came back from the bar that night, but before they actually came back, my really good friend was texting me pictures of my ex husband, who was my, you know, just my boyfriend at the time dancing with these girls and then like having this girl sit on his lap and stuff. And he was like, Hey, like just wanted to let you know, I felt like wrong, not showing you this. Um, and I confronted my ex-husband with it that night. We broke up. Uh, my friend then proceeded to be like, you know, I really am interested in you. And, uh, you know, if, if, you know, if you don't end up going back a dickhead, then I would like, I do want to, you know, if you, if you want to, and I made the mistake of expressing this to, my ex-husband, when I was explaining to him, like, how I found these pictures and how, like, how I got them and, and the whole story, I, you know, I told him, I just have a hard time. It feels like a lie by omission. And I don't, I can't do that. It's just, you know, I don't, not, I wouldn't say I'm not great at lying. I just don't like the feeling of it. So I, even when it's something that maybe doesn't need to get brought up, I tend to bring it up. Um, so I brought up this situation where uh, my buddy had then, after showing me the pictures, after proving to me, which is what it was, he gave me proof that my ex was seeing other people behind my back. My asshole used the fact that he then had asked me out to invalidate everything he said. And right. he made a, you know, it was a logical argument. And I let it go. And I like, I just, and that like those scenarios, that scenario um, that was before we were even serious. You know, I, I see the manipulation, um, started so early. So I saw, um, a meme the other day that said, who is the worst person you've ever known? And why is it your boyfriend when you were 19? <laughs> yeah. Nobody marry your boyfriend yeah. when you were 19. For real. Never marry your boyfriend at 19. Yeah. <laughs> so you know i should have known then um should have uh picked up on it then but why would you you know we don't know these things until no. we're older and wiser and have the experiences to know them exactly it's so like you can't beat yourself up about it i try not to been going to therapy i've been out for quite some time just because life has gotten really hectic and trying to get there because i do better like in person than i do video and stuff so it's been a minute but there is like a lot of self blame because I'm like I seen it like I knew it I called it out I told him like I said and and somehow I chose to believe him like why did I do that why did I do that and I do chop it up or talk it up a lot to being young I was so young um but there's other reasons you know there's the way I was raised to not give up watching my parents marriage um, which I didn't see very for very long. You know, they weren't together for very long after I was born. But my father was just horrifically abusive. And you tell yourself it's not that bad. It could be worse. You know, it could be worse. Right. And, right. and mm -hmm. I have no right to complain. I've done that for a very long time. I've always been the person that says, you know, other people have it worse. I shouldn't be complaining about this. But and I think a lot of women in abusive relationships do that. You know, mm -hmm. they look at, they compare themselves to, you know, 
but Tina Turner just passed away. And what she went through, I mean, as a famous, as a cele- celebrity, a wealthy woman, horrifically abused in so many different ways. And there were le- legitimately, there were times I watched that movie over and over and over again. In the past, I thought I watched it because it, it made me feel connected to my mother somehow. No, I was connected to myself. And the joy I felt when she escapes is like, I wanted that for myself. But you you look at it and you're like, I would watch it and I'd be like, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. He never did that to me. He never, you know, he hasn't done that to me. It, it wasn't, you know, this didn't, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't talk to me like that in front of other people. And it's just like, not fair. It's not fair that we do that to ourselves and so many women do it. Like, I know they do. You know, I have friends right. that have done yeah. it. And, like, I don't blame myself, but I also look back and I'm like, mostly now I get upset with the people who were around me at the time. There was very few women there. And if I say females, too, I'm trying not to. I'm not disrespectful. That's literally, like, my brain goes back to military. And that is how males and females this is, like, the way that everything is referred to. Um, sure. But there wasn't many. Um, and But eventually you know, more women started showing up at the command. And uh, I started like my friend group kind of started to grow with the females. But because I was dating my ex, he didn't was kind of lopping off my relationships, my friendships with the, the guys that I was friends with who actually did look out for me. Those four guys were like, what the fuck are you doing with him? Like, he's lying to you. He's doing this. You could do better. I wasn't allowed to talk to them anymore. He would get so mad. There was a point where, obviously, we eventually get serious. We start dating, you know, very seriously. We start entertaining, um, you know, this very, you know idea of long-term relationship, like daydreamy stuff. December is when I took him home to meet my family. That's when we got very serious, and we started talking about a long-term extended relationship. You know, you're it for me. I'm it for you. March 2009, he asked me to marry him. But in between that time and the day that he asked me to marry him, but there was so much phone calls from other women um, you know, letters, pictures. He was getting all these pictures. They were mailing him snail mail shit, you know, boxes of stuff. Uh, he was buying other women flowers. And I'm like, what the hell? And he's like, well, we're just friends. And, you know, and then he went and asked me to marry him in March. And I said, yes. So that was after just a few months of dating? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like bang, bang, boom. It was so everything. The first two years of our life together were so fast. And I don't think he did it on purpose at all. Uh, I just think it contributed to my desire to force things to work. Uh, because it had happened so fast, I didn't want to be a statistic. Um, we are engaged by March, married by August. And then by that next January, I was pregnant very much like just boop, 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 boop. Yeah. How was the relationship from the time you got married to that year? Was it a good first year? Were there good times or sections of time that were good? There was a lot of really good times. Um, Unfortunately, the first time that he was ever physically abusive with me was about two weeks before we got married. But I can look back at my wedding photos and just I'm covered in bruises from like... What was the situation with that? We had this friend, he also another welder that he was friends with, who had a girlfriend that I got along with really, really well. She was um, a genuine friend and still continues to this day be a genuine friend. She was having a birthday party and we went out. It was a wig party. I remember it like, so it's crazy. The detail that I remember is insane because it happened so long ago, but I think it's, it's trauma. It was the first time. Yeah. And it was so crazy, incredibly unexpected, but he she had a wig party and this is the one, the one time actually that he did flirt with somebody in front of me and hit on somebody in front of me. Um, 
I don't know if they messed around that night or not at the bar, but she had a friend there that uh, was like weird about my ex. She was kind of following them around. And um, I, I'm kind of a jealous person now, but in the past I wasn't, I I've learned to read people's faces and I've learned to listen to tone and listen for um, tenor and, and, you know, certain expressions and stuff like that. Um, and body language, I've learned to read body language quite well. Body language, not as good well as facial expression, but back then I didn't, any little hint I got and I was like, that's weird it, to other people. They're like, that's obvious. I'm like, Hmm, questionable, you know, because I didn't get it. And then I would, you know, I'd be like, why would somebody do that? You know, why would she, knowing that he's in a relationship, follow him around? And why would he encourage it? Being in a relationship with me right in front of my eyes and all our friends. Well, because he's garbage, you know, because they both get off on that. And I know he did, but um, we, she had this bright pink Annie wig on and we went to the park, we went to the bar, hit a bunch of bars. And I got angry because I did realize at one point they had gone around like a corner um, in the bar, it was like a islandy kind of situation, and they went off around that tiki island bar thing and into the corner, and I was gonna go follow them, but I felt like that was intrusive. I don't know why. I felt disrespectful. You know, I, I didn't trust him. Why would I do that? Why would I? Um, I didn't want to be ridiculed. You know, so I didn't. In case nothing was going on, I didn't. I didn't go after him to see what the hell was going on. And when they came out, she had this big bright red wig on and he was wearing her wig and I was like that rubs me the wrong way and you know what I'm allowed to say something so I brought it up to him uh I was like what the fuck you know and he was like oh we're just messing around like don't be so sensitive you know something along those lines like oh no like she's just you know blah 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 and I was like okay you know rationally logically it's not like they came out with their pants down it's not like she came out with her tits out he was just wearing her wig and they were just friendly enough to make me feel uncomfortable I rationalized logic my way out of it Um, you know, my, my feelings, that gut feeling that I had, but it soured his demeanor towards me that night. He was very weird towards me, like standoffish. Like he would look at me and he would kind of like, he didn't want me around. He didn't want to talk resentfully, almost like he was resentful of, of me, my presence. Uh, we ended up going home and we took a cab and the cab was supposed to take us back to our friend's houses. The you know person whose birthday it was, he was belligerently drunk. And he was just being nasty and rude to the cabbie. And I am from Minnesota, the land of polite. He was so horrible to that man. He was making fun of him like a, like a child, like a teenager. Um, Cause he had a, you know, a Middle Eastern accent making fun of him. And um, all because he, the man wouldn't take a card. It was a, we, they used to give us these cards in the military that would get you a ride free from any taxi. Um, the, the cabbie just would call the number and tell them the, the people in the number, um, the mileage, and then they would get paid that way. But not every cabbie took it, um, which is their right. They get they get to say no. If you're going to use that card, you you we know, and it even says it on the card to ask the cabbie first. He didn't do that. And when the cabbie was like, "No, I won't take that," he just was just disgusting and, and horrible to him. And I got so upset with the way he was treating him, um, embarrassed, you know, embarrassed that like I'm with this guy. Like, and I kept on asking him to stop, and I was like, "Can you just pay him? Like, quit being rude." I just got uncomfortable and angry that I was having to witness this and that this guy was going through it. And, and it upset me that I didn't have enough like courage to like really yell at him and tell him off for this guy that he's just being horrible to. So I just decided to get out of the cab. And he had actually stopped a few blocks from our friend's apartment. So I got out of the cab. I started walking, assuming that my ex would pay and follow me you know, and walk to their house with me. So I'm just walking and then out of fucking nowhere, I'm in the bushes and I'm getting wailed on. 
it's it's what I imagine like being attacked in the street is like like being attacked mm-hmm. by a stranger in the street is like you know in the middle of the night it's nighttime um I didn't expect it I honestly didn't even know it was him at first I, I figured it out pretty quick it didn't take me long to realize it was him but just like it had to be terrifying yeah very it was like yeah scary very terrifying embarrassing I would almost stress more so and like I remember he had yeah, he had thrown me into the bushes like it actually had tackled me into the bushes like I was you know a six foot one fucking football player <laughs> T- tackled me into the bushes and um, he was hitting me, you know, punching me because he had to go through the bushes, though. He wasn't hitting my face very hard. Um, so he was grabbing me, he was picking me up by my arms uh, and then like trying to hit me with holding me up one handed. You know, um, that's just why in my wedding photos, I my arms are just black and blue. It's it's undeniable. I eventually got out of the bushes. I call it flipping a switch. He must that must have been the first time his switch flipped. I just got attacked that night. So I didn't see the facial expressions. I didn't see the body changes I would notice later. But it's almost like his switch would flip back to good in the middle of it. And so he would back off me and I was getting out of the bushes. And then I was like hysterical. You know, I'm crying. Um, I remember very vividly my pink wig being in the middle of the street. Uh, and I was just looking at it like, oh, my God, you know, I'm scratched and bloodied and bruised and I don't know how I'm going to get home. I don't have a driver's license. I have to call a friend now. I have to call a friend, ask them for a ride, and they're going to know that I picked the wrong one again. They're going to know I'm going to have to call my mom. I'm going to have to call my sister. And I'm going to have to tell them I'm not getting married anymore because I picked the wrong one again. Because unfortunately, before I met, before I joined the Navy, I was in a four-year relationship with an incredibly physically abusive guy. I spent, I met him when I was 14, 15, and now experiencing this with the guy that I am planning on marrying. I'm just like, I picked the wrong one again. I did it again. And now I got to tell people I did it again. Uh, I ended up the cabbie who had just dropped us off, had looped back around. He came upon my ex wailing on me. And then, and then I see the cabbie His cabbie's yelling at me. He's sitting there yelling at me. And now my ex is yelling at him, telling him to go away telling him to leave and the cabbie is screaming at me get in my car get in my car and I'm like okay so I just he opens the passenger door and I just kind of like swan dived in there he says where can I take you and I said just bring me home that was very kind of him yeah yeah I mean it's just a decent people decent person you know bare minimum decency you see somebody getting their ass handed to them that can't defend themselves against the person that's you stop and you help um, Definitely. Yeah. You know, he, I don't expect people to put themselves in any danger. He didn't put himself in any danger. He opened the car door. That's, that was enough to help me. Absolutely. Know? And knowing that people don't do that sometimes they just watch. That's why sometimes I get angry at angry. I look back and instead of feeling upset with myself, I'm upset with so many people around me. Right. I'm like, this cabbie didn't have to do a goddamn thing. That probably saved my fucking life. And then where are my friends? Why How? Why did I have such a hard time coming up with somebody to call? Who's not going to tell everybody? Who's not going to, you know, make me feel ashamed? And I couldn't come up with anybody. It's so fucked up. So what happened when you got home? When I got home, um, I actually got locked out of the apartment. Well, I was locked out of the apartment. I had to wait for him. He showed up and have you ever like, do you know that look that you give somebody or I don't know if anybody's ever given you the look, I hope not. But that look that when you see something that you just full of disdain, you know, you Mm -hmm. really are just disgusted by somebody or something. He was looking at me like that, just like so disdainful. 
and his body would change. He would walk with his chest puffed out and he would kind of just like gorilla walk almost, you know, like drag his feet. He was the, uh, his feet dragging still makes, it makes my stomach sick now when I think about it. I was 150. I was strong as shit. I worked out every single day. I ran every single day. I was, I'm very proud to say I was very physically fit, but he was much stronger. But now I'm like, who the fuck were you? Like, who the fuck were you walking up to me like that? Like, to your 140, 150 pound fiance, who you already beat the hell out of once. Like, why did you do this? Like, why? This is, everything's ruined now. Like, this has to end now. And I was hysterical. And he could not have given a shit less. It's literally like he just turned every emotion off. It still blows my mind that he's even able to do this. And he's been able to do this since the beginning. No feelings whatsoever. He just watched me, listened to me, and was like, I fucking care. You do whatever you want. I don't give a shit. So did you move out? At that point? No, didn't. Um, I stayed with him. You know, I can think about the reasons why didn't I leave, why didn't I leave. And, you know, sometimes it's like there's a couple conclusions that I've come to, a couple reasons I probably came up with in my head um, why I wish I should stay. It doesn't matter because I did. You know, I didn't leave him. Um, I chose to, of course, the next day he was incredibly apologetic. The love bombing. Love bombing happened Mm -hmm. immediately the next day. Um, The police were called that night by a neighbor he was rude to the cops and I talked them out of not arresting him. And she's saying that nothing happened. Like, why would we do that? And, and I mean, now I look at it and I see, like, I was just so young and I was scared and I was a person who loved him. Like I wasn't stupid. I wasn't um, pathetic or gross or any of the things no. I would felt about myself or what, you know, some people would, I was just, I loved him. I didn't want to see his life ruined. I wanted my dream life back. I wanted my fairy tale back. And and if he was going to get arrested, it sure shit wasn't going to happen. At that point, I could still keep it a secret. You know, nobody seen it but me and him um, and the cabbie. But talked to cops into leaving and I stayed. And the next day, the love bombing started. You know, the apologies. I love you. I promise you it's never going to happen again. And, and I just said, okay, yeah, I believe you. I trust you. And a week later, you know, we were married. And I, that's when the lying to my family began. began. You know, I started lying to the people that have always been there for me and have always loved me, um, which is something else I really regret. You know, I regret doing, I know why I did it. They understand why I did it. You know, rational people will understand why I lied, but I don't like lying. And every time I lied to him, it took a toll. You know, it it Mm -hmm. compromised a moral that is very fucking dear to me. Um, But my mom came for the wedding and asked me about the bruises. And I told her that I had gotten into a bar fight with a random girl at the bar. And she said, okay. I, you know, why would I lie to her about it? Why would I be dumb enough to get myself into a, another abusive relationship? Like, she didn't question it. You've met him. Mm-hmm. There is not a person on the planet that would meet him and think this man abuses women. No, not. And, and I, I, I feel like I'm pretty in tune, typically. I am very trusting, but I feel like I can pick out danger never and all of the times I've seen him, all the time I've spent with him, um, I I thought he was an idiot is what I thought. Mm-hmm. But I thought he was a lovable idiot. Mostly everybody who meets him. I can, I can think of maybe a few people that didn't like him from the moment they met him. I never particularly liked him because I, I just found him annoying because of his childlike way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the more you and I got to know each other, the things you would tell me, it was just like, you don't deserve any of that. But I never would have thought he was physically 
abusing you. To be fair, it's me too. I have literally, since I was a kid, I have been a very outspoken person of like um, support for women who are going through domestic abuse. And I'm done training for it um, to, you know, be a supportive support system, how to help people, like uh, how to get, get them to help and how to provide help myself to them. And here I am getting beat up. For some reason, there's this wall for myself, you know, and so nobody realizing it, you know, nobody really seeing it for what it was until almost I told them, it makes complete sense. Like, why would you, you know, why I was really good at pretending like everything was fucking fine. And I had this thing in my head. I was really like, a, I can control it. I'm in control of this because I knew I could leave anytime. I knew I could leave in time. I was, I was choosing to say. I was choosing to fight through. I was choosing to push through. I was manipulating myself in that way. I didn't want to give up. And and when I did finally start trying to leave, he was he would start to you know find ways to keep me there. He became fun dad, and he just you know um, wanted. This is where you know Becca was talking about very childish. Like he just embraced the child that you know we. I would see occasionally when we had first um, started seeing each other. He was you know, uh, goofy, he would do goofy things, very much a teenage boy. It was like dating a teenager, a teenage boy who was just totally, you know, obsessed with you. Like, you know, all these ro- grand romantic gestures that you would see a teenage boy do. And, and, um, I really appreciated it at the time, you know, uh, but we were getting ready to leave and, and he had just changed so much and he was just being real weird about his phone. And then, I had found out he had an extra phone. It was a flip phone. And he t- he tells me today that, or he told me after that, that it was the duty phone. Uh, but he took it home with him. You don't take, I don't know how much you guys know about military um, standing watches and duty and stuff. But but he had been removed from ACU-5 and put on a ship, went on deployment. I have never heard of a duty phone being given to an engineer on a ship because they have thing- these things that you call... But I didn't know anything about ship life because I was a hovercraft mechanic. I was I was sea duty, shore duty kind of situation. Um, I'd never really been on a ship. So who was I to question, you know, if this flip phone was a really a duty phone? Um, and when he said that he just forgotten to leave it there, I didn't question, you know, people forget things. Um, realistically, if I'd have thought about it, you're not going to take a, the, the duty phone from the ship, forget to return it and not have that bitch ringing off the hook, you know. But uh, he was being weird about his regular phone too and I was just like what the fuck's going on um actually what spurred it was the night before I was in the living room crocheting I was making mittens or a hat or something and I uh he had gone to bed early which is not something that he would normally do and Ron was sleeping in the bed with us I'd say he was like eight or nine months and I went into the room I just had weird feelings I would get these weird feelings like I need to go in there and I go into the room and he's never been creepy with children this was very creepy but it wasn't creepy in a, are you molesting our child sort of way. It was creepy in the who the fuck would do that sort of way. But he was jerking off with the infant next to him while looking at his phone. So our son was touching him. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, what are you doing? And he kind of like hit everything, you know, and he was like, oh, I'm just, uh, you know, I got a glimpse of his phone and it was text messages that he was looking at. Mm. And then I kind—I of, freaked out. So he was sexting. He, he was sexting somebody. Yeah. yeah. He told me it was porn. So we, I mean, I'm freaking out. I'm like, our sons are there. like, what the fuck? That's gross, you know. And he was like, oh yeah, I didn't, you know, I wasn't even thinking about that. Like, I'm not, I'm not a pervert. I wasn't even thinking about him being right there. And and he was like, it was just, you know, I was just looking at porn. And I was like, okay, well, show me, show me, because it looked like he were looking at text messages and pictures from. And he was like, no, no, I was, it was porn. So then he does like what cheaters do, you know, like no, let me, I'll open it for you. No, know, you can't look at it until I open it for you, kind of situation. And. 
And, um, you know, we got into a big fight that night, but I calmed down and, and I was like, you know, I'm tired. We're tired. He was like, yeah, we're tired. Let's just go to bed. And, and the next day we were supposed to be packing to leave was kind of the situation too, is I wanted to try to let it to go. To leave for? Tennessee. Well, and then, and Tennessee. then Massachusetts, okay. the, the baptism brought it up again that day. And I think I was like, I was something like, you know, how about you just tell me the truth? So we can move on from here. So we can figure out how to deal with it. Told him I wasn't going to go to Tennessee unless he let me look through his phone. I was like, you can't leave this room with that phone in your hand. If you do, I'm not going to Tennessee. If you don't let me look through it right now, I am not going to Tennessee. And you'll have to tell your parents why. And he, he came fucking unglued and he um, attacked me. And I don't remember if I picked up to run to the room and then he continued to attack me or if I had in my hands already when he attacked me. And that's the first time I seen with my like own two eyes, the flip of the switch from him going from the that everybody meets to somebody I'm pretty sure only I've ever met. It's crazy just watching the physical change of somebody and the, like the transition from like light to dark, like that is a real, real thing. It really happens. Their facial expressions, they sink in their no, their facial expressions get pinched and sunken and just darkened. And I mean, that man had bright blue eyes and they would get darker. It was insane. It was incredible. Um, not in a great way, but like in a, like looking, looking back, I'm like, wow, wow. That is really how that happens. He would get snarly. His face would kind of turn snarly. He would hunch, you know, like get like this. And so before um, he did the big chest, whenever he was mad at somebody, um, the arrogant, you know, stride, uh, after he got back from deployment, it was this almost like golem gremlin, you know, kind of situation where he would get, nah. I think it was because he lacked the physical strength um, that his demeanor changed or the way he would project, you know, the way when he flipped a switch that his physical, like he just turned into a different, completely different person, completely different person. Yeah. Capable like a of a monster. Yeah. Capable of fucking who knows what, you know, but somebody mm. I didn't know. And I mean, I ran back to the bedroom and locked me in in and I started you know I started at the door to the bedroom with my back against the door but I realized he was going to be able to kick that door down so I ran into the closet and I had my phone and I was just like please don't make me have to call the cops please don't make and there was just something in my head where like if I called the police it was the end of it you know I, I knew I don't know if it was a moral or a, a line that I had drawn myself or what but my issue with calling the police was that if I called the police it was done we were done. There was no going back. And he's screaming, don't take my son from me. And you can't fucking do this. And you're a bitch. And just, you know, derogatory, cruel things that you shouldn't call the person that you love ever. And screaming all this stuff at me. And then he, um, I yelled something along the lines of, I don't want to call the cops. Like, please don't make me call the cops. Just calm down. Like, I'll come out if you calm down. And um, I think he said, fucking, fuck you, whatever, or something like that. And I heard the door slams, like, you know, the, the door to the bedroom slam and then the door to the outside slam. And and um, I heard his car start, you know, assuming that he went for a drive or whatever. And I got out of the closet and I wasn't as hysterical um, as I was the first time. He wasn't as violent that time, I think, because I was holding and I didn't fight back. I was just protecting, which might be why he wasn't as aggressive. You know, he came back later and I don't remember if we t how we talked it out or if I just let it go or but really from there it became these situations where he would be physically aggressive he would attack me you know and numerous times after that uh there would be these big pauses you know like it was in the beginning it was years in between you know I mean what was it two years almost I think a year and a half something and 
And then the next one, another year or so. And then it came time to re-enlist and my rate was closed. Um, gas turbine mechanic, jet engine mechanic was closed out. And I would have had to pick a different rate. There was a couple that were available to me, but nothing that really like struck a chord real close to me as you know mechanics did, um, except for one, which was MM, but it would almost guarantee me being put on a ship. And my ex, nope, no. He immediately started guilt tripping me. How could you leave our son? I just, you know, just anything you can imagine that somebody, you know, want, would say. How could you don't leave our kid? Just, and of course, I loved my baby. First six months of mine and my life together was bliss. It's the happiest I remember being in up until the divorce. Literally up until these last, this last year. Those six months with when it was just me and him, um, happiest. And of course I didn't want to leave him, but I thought that I was important too. I thought my career and my life and my dreams were important too. Um, and I thought that I had a partner. And when you're dual military, both um, you know, active duty, you, 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 if you love each other, you make it work. I know lots of active duty um, dual military couples who have made it work uh, with multiple children, you know? The thing is, is one goes on deployment, the other one can't be deployed. It, and you just switch right. off back and forth. And it's hard. But life is fucking hard, especially if you're trying to accomplish things, especially when you're trying to reach goals and, and get your have your dreams come true. Um, and I, when I joined the Navy, I didn't plan to stay enlisted. I had planned to go officer. That's what I joined the Navy. Go, become an officer, go to college, make changes. How long was he then in the Navy? He got honorably discharged, but they would not allow him to re-enlist. He was in for about a year after I got out. He was honorably discharged because they would not let him re-enlist. For what reason? I don't know. Um, He told me it was because he didn't pass the test. i never seen his test scores, but there is something that you talk about how um, he seems so dumb. He is not. He is not dumb. He is incredibly intelligent. He speaks Italian and Spanish fluently. Um, he learned it by ear from living in Italy and from living in Puerto Rico. Um, I didn't believe it until I seen it myself. Like, I legit did not believe he spoke either one of these languages because I never heard him do it, you know, because um, he never really had the reason, a reason to or the opportunity to. And for somebody to pick up it, Italian in middle school and then Spanish in high school and not use it until they're in their 30s, but still be fluent. He was, he's very smart. He is so smart that he is a genius at making people think he's a fucking idiot. He says he didn't pass the test. I don't know if I believe that or not. I don't, to be honest, like I don't care anymore why they didn't. So when he got out and you're a stay at home mom, what do we what do happens then? Yeah. So he got out and it was, he did this thing and he still sometimes does it. That's actually funny, but, um, what do I, what do I do? You know, he'd turn to me, what do I do? What should I do? And weaponized incompetence, you know. Um, he didn't want to make a choice that would influence the rest of our lives and be held responsible if he couldn't do it or if, if we couldn't do it. Um, so I was like, well, what are you good at? What do you want to do? Um, he had briefly mentioned opening a dive shop in Texas. And I said, if that's what you want to do, let's do it. it. It'll be hard. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that. Um, I, you know, I'm not scared or afraid of it. I said, I am terrified. You know, lots of shops don't last for it. It'll be a lot of work. We'd, I don't know anything about diving. I don't know anything about business. It's like, but we can do it. You can go to school for business. I was hundred percent supportive, which 
it's kind of just like the way I am. And he's no, 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 no. I don't really want to do that. And I was like, okay, what do you want to fucking do? You know, like we, and the goal, we had talked about it and, um, you know, I was going to go back to school, um, and get BAH and, you know, stuff like that for, um, being in, you know, the, being a veteran and going to school and he was going to go and while I worked my way through, or while I worked through school, he was going to get a job at a, you know, as a welder someplace. And, uh, but we needed help with daycare. So his mother volunteered to do our daycare. And at the time we had just had, but had just found out that we were pregnant with and she was all for it. Grandma of the year, she's going to do our daycare. It's going to be so wonderful. And uh, you're going to save so much money. You guys can live in the basement. You're going to be so comfortable. I'm going to get to play <laughs> with my grandbabies every day. I'll feed them. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be so great. I love you guys so much. And I, so we moved to fucking Tennessee. It was pure hell. Moved into their basement. Like two months into my first semester, she couldn't watch the kids anymore. She couldn't handle it. She couldn't take it. You know, it was just, I was made to feel terrible and awful by his mother and him. He would never stick up for me. And if I did get angry, he would defend her in a, she's crazy. What do you want me to do about it? Kind of situation. Don't pick on her. She's a fragile old lady. She means well. She just loves everybody kind of thing. This part actually fucks with me the most. I think out of everything, out of everything that he's done to me, this is the worst thing that he's ever done to me. I had, and I got postpartum depression. And I had never had depression before. I've never suffered with depression. I never suffered with, other than teenage angst, I had never felt that feeling. And it was severe, severe postpartum depression, um, borderline psychosis. Uh, I thought constantly about killing myself, constantly. And, and, and I say that in a way that like, I look back and I am like, wow, how did I not? With, the, how, with, with, with how obsessed I was about it with how much planning, because I planned it. Um, I mean, I wrote letters, I wrote instructions, I, and I reasoned it. I mean, even now, when I look back at that time, um, I can see, I understand my reasoning. I do. I was so fucking rational about it. And my thing was, is if I killed myself, because um, I was garbage, I wasn't a good mom. I wasn't a good wife. I wasn't a good provider. I wasn't a good stay-at-home mom. I couldn't do any of it. I, cu I couldn't be as good as his mom. I couldn't be as good as my... I wasn't as strong as my mom. And I wasn't as, as fun as his mom. I was never going to be anything more than this because I'm too stupid to do well in school. I mean, the things that you tell yourself, you know, these horrible... I couldn't see... I couldn't see any light anymore in myself. And rational... I know my rational brain said, if you kill yourself, everybody will step in and help with the boys. You know... Um, your family will come there for him. His family will come there for him. Money won't be an issue anymore because your family will provide financial support. His family will provide financial support. You know, they'll watch the kids for him because who else is going to do it? You know, if I'm gone, other people will step in and the boys will be surrounded with even more love than if it was just me. And because more people will have to show up because they love the boys so much. Um, it made fucking sense. You know, I had this moment of clarity Thank fucking God, because I didn't realize how deep in the fog I was until I had this kind of moment, like, you know, where the cloud shift, the shine, the sun shines through where I was like, um, you won't know for sure what happens if you're not there. And I was like, yeah, I won't. I can't right. know. You can't know. If, if you go, you won't know. You can't protect them. You can't guarantee their safety if you're not here. You, you I loved and trusted my family, but... I needed, I love my son so much. I needed a guarantee. And that's the only reason I didn't end it because like there was no guarantee unless I was there to witness it. 
Um, and in that moment of clarity, I had the frame of mind to ask my husband for help. I told him, I finally told him what was going on. He said he didn't know what to do. And he was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do about it? What do you want me to do? And I was just like, I don't know. You know, and I was young and prideful and, um, I needed somebody to tell me, uh, I'm sure you guys have met those people. You, the, the people that need someone to tell them to go to the doctor that need someone to tell them that they need to see a therapist, that they know it. They just need someone to say it's, it's okay. It's okay for right. you to do this. You need this. You're not a hypochondriac. You're not a drama, drama queen. You're not overreacting. That's all I needed from him, but he couldn't even do that. And I, back then I was like, yeah, why am I putting all this pressure on you? This is not fair of me to expect you to know what to do. Um, he doesn't have the ability to empathize. None. No, none whatsoever. I mean, he's seen me suffering. I could, I would just, I was a shell of a person. I, my emotions, I loved the boys. I could feel love for the boys, but I would have these deep, these moments of like this like pit in my stomach where I didn't feel like I deserved their love and I couldn't touch them and I couldn't hold them because I felt like I was taking something that I didn't deserve. It was just terrible. But I, um, and I still had you know, a moment of clarity that I was having. I uh, reached out to a doctor and went to actually found CCL. And for those that uh, don't know, CCL was a Facebook group in which Samantha and I's old group of friends all met once mm -hmm. upon a time, very long time ago. Very long time ago. A bunch of bad bitches, though, I tell you. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, yeah, I, I finally found CCL and I, so it was just so like, I got on medication, um, Zoloft or Prozac, I can't remember which one, um, which I, is a miracle drug. They are, they save people, they save people's lives. They saved my life that time. Very proud to say that I pulled myself out of what is the darkest time of my life. Um, and I did it just by loving my sons, just by enjoying every, like take, not taking for granted anything from them. I mean, I still, I still have these memories. I remember looking at their faces and being like, remember this, like, remember this face, like, remember this expression, remember this laugh. So when you're down, when you're in the dark spot, you can remember that laugh. And I cannot fucking tell you how many times I was in the dark place. And I, I thought about his laugh. I thought about fucking pudgy cheeks and all that hair he was born with. And, and it would pull me out. It would help me pull me out. I would think about, you know, my good things about myself. And then I started talking to friends. I started meeting new people, but um, I ended up, we, we did end up moving out of there into this house and I was in school. And this is when I found out about him cheating. T contestable proof that he was cheating. It's a story how I found out. It's not even, it's not even a great one though. It's, it's kind of, he, it, and when people are like, who did he cheat on you with? Everyone, fucking everyone, anyone, everyone and anyone, um, hookers. Uh, I mean, and of course I didn't find all of it out at first. In the beginning, I knew of just like a handful of women and thought in the beginning that it was just all online. It was a joke. But um, one of those women actually was my sister's best friend. I remember when that happened. Uh, um, they would make plans to sleep together. She was planning on visiting. It was, it's a sad, sad story. It was, it's very fucked up. I was treated with an enormous amount of disrespect and, and cruelty because there was like jokes played on me. You know, I remember getting this text message when I was pregnant with, um, cause this had been going on for years. Like this isn't like a, a matter of like, just in the last, you know, like I got out of the depression and then he started cheating on me. No, he had never stopped cheating on me. He had never 
stopped seeking out and continuing relationships that he had had previously and, and, you know, found while we were together, never quit. Uh, my mom found out, of course, because like I was, you know, when I did find out, um, there was a huge fight between us. It was like, it involved his phone and like, there was a text message that came through his phone and I was like, what's this, you know? And, and, uh, he said something that I was like, that's fucking weird. And then, oh, it's this girl from work and, or from school and high school. And I'm like, why are you talking to a girl from fucking high school? Why is a girl from high school asking you about whether you're working tonight? And then I was like, motherfucker, I'm opening your phone. Like I'm looking into this. And then I found text messages and messages from Facebook and emails and, pictures and phone calls and I finally was like who the fuck else like who else is it I know there's more and that's when he confessed during this period I was pregnant with he flew to Massachusetts for a job fair it was over Easter and while he was there I received a text message that said and I quote sometimes when I'm fucking Sam from behind and I nut on her back I think of you and I was like who the who the hell is this meant for and let that man convince me that it was a joke between him and his buddy from the Navy. I was pregnant. I feel the need to make excuses, but I'm not going to because at that time my brain was just mush. Um, I was terrified. I was pregnant, the second kid, and living with his fucking parents. Like, where do I go? So he flipped a switch the day I confronted him. He called me a bitch. I can't remember. He called me a stupid bitch. And I don't know why. I don't know what I said to prompt it. I don't know um, if I even deserved it or not. I just know that we were talking about him banging my sister's best friend behind my back and ruining my family. And he called me a stupid bitch. And I felt an insane amount of rage. And I, this time I don't, I'm not embarrassed by it. I'm not um, ashamed of it, but this is the first time that I hit him and he called me a stupid bitch and I smacked him so hard. I knocked him over. Um, and he would never let me forget it because I, he didn't attack me. He didn't come after me. Well, he, he, he bowed up against me, but my mom was in the other room. So coward, because he knew my mother would come to my defense and he couldn't beat me up, you know, with my mom right there. But uh, it's not, I mean, legally it's wrong that I hit him. I know that. I know that I shouldn't have done it. I know that I'm, a, I'm not a bad person, but that was a, an incorrect action. I, um, I'm firmly on team. He deserved it. Yeah, I mean, I wish I could feel bad, but I don't. I wish I had that kind of personality where I could be like, I should have never hit him. But I mean, logically, yeah, no. I should never hit him. I just don't feel bad. I can't feel. Yes, bad. violence is not the answer. But if any motherfucker ever deserved to get knocked on his ass, it's him. Exactly. Yeah, it, violence is not the answer. We're not allowed to put our hands on each other. But I, if I don't like lying, and I would be lying if I said I felt bad, you know, or that I regret it. I don't even regret it. But. Yeah, um, he tells people I punched him. I did not punch him. I, I smacked him open-handed. He had a handprint on his face. I just smacked him so hard he knocked over. And he still to this day could, cannot admit that I hit him open-handed. It's such a, so toxically masculine, so full of himself. He can't admit that a woman hit him with an open hand and it knocked his ass over. And I'm like, I had endured abuse now, physical abuse from him. I had gave birth to two fucking children, pulled myself out of a depression. I used to cook that motherfucker dinner every single night. I would pack him a fucking lunch. I was going to school full time. I was dealing with his mother and his father who are, mother is clinically insane. I was giving him everything and I loved him. I, I loved him through all of the mistakes that he made. I fucking loved him. I was so angry that that was the, that was what was going to make me feel better in the time. And I, you know, like I said, I, men can be abused too. And 
putting your hands on somebody is never right. But I would be lying if I said that I regret it. And I would be lying if I said that I'm ashamed of it. I'm not. There already was physical violence from him. Doesn't make my my violence okay, but I'm still not sorry for it. And, you know, people can be mad at me for that if they want to, but it is what it is. You know, there were times when we were, when he was assaulting me that I, you know, he'd be on top of me. Um, he did this thing. So he choked me, which unfortunately I didn't know until a few years ago that choking is a sign that this person can kill you, that this person's will intend will eventually kill you. But um, he would choke me. He did this really shitty thing where he would pull my ears. He would grab my earlobes and he would pull them and as hard as he could. And he would rip them from my, um, I have little, very thin scars from like where they would start to like rip off. He would, uh, bite me, like bite my face, bite my arms, uh, pull my hair like a, like a child. He fought me like a child when he realized I could fight back. He rarely start the day after I hit him that day, he rarely swung at me. He would sometimes. He had punched me in the face since then, but not as often as he would choke me, pinch me, bite me, kick me like a little kid because he realized that I'm strong. Like I'm physically fucking strong. I feel bad. Like I would feel bad. You know, he, that day I smacked him for calling me a stupid bitch. I do not feel bad about, but there were times when he had his hands around my throat and I was digging my thumbs into his eyeballs to get him off me. And I felt bad for that because the next day he had a red eye. Um, there were times when, uh, he tried to bite my finger off and I punched him in the face a bunch of times. That was actually the last time. That was the last, uh, that was the last assault in the house. It was in this house that I'm in now in this bedroom. This is before I knew about the drugs. Cause that's going to happen. Hard, hardcore drugs will happen. He wouldn't get up. He had been diagnosed with um, schizoaffective disorder by then. He would go through these deep, deep bouts of, so schizoaffective disorder is like schizophrenia with manic depression. He would fall into these very deep depressions where he would just sleep for days and days and days. And I think the schizoaffective di- disorder was diagnosed in either 2016 or 2017. The last time that the physical abuse occurred and the depression that he was in, that's what the schizoaffective dis- disorder would cause. And he had been diagnosed with it for some time. So I had already been dealing with the symptoms for years, but understanding the diagnosis made it easier for me to kind of cope with, I, I say cope, understanding the diagnosis, what it really did was give me an excuse to continue to put up with the abuse that I was suffering because at that point, it had become psychological to a like torture. He was like torturing me psychologically. I was, I was becoming somebody I didn't want to be. Which is when we talk, you talked about, uh, you start to reflect. You know, you start to mirror these people. Mm-hmm. Um, I had started to mirror. Think of it as lowering this, my own standards that I had for myself, forsaking my own morals. Which I don't think it's okay to belittle somebody or make somebody feel bad for things that are out of their control. But I had, I was so angry um, and I was so used to being ridiculed for things that I, you know, had no control over being called names when I didn't deserve it. And this is when I started to realize that this isn't right. Who the fuck am I? You know, I was pissed off. I was angry. I was not inaccurate with my accusations, (laughs) but that's not, I shouldn't feel like this way. Like I shouldn't be telling him these things. And only should I not be able to tell him these things in truth, but I shouldn't want to tell him these things. And, but I was, I was like, you're a piece of shit. I can't fucking believe you. Like your breath smells bad. Like, do you not care? 
that your breast stinks and that I don't want to kiss you? Like, does that not bother you? And he said something along the lines of like, fuck you. No, I don't care or something. And I was like, you, yeah, you're just a fucking asshole. And I was losing myself so much that I disconnected a lot of the times in those periods that I was not, I wasn't reacting the way I wanted to or would have or should have. But this last time he just went at me. Like he just kind of popped up. Like it was crazy because I didn't see the switch. Normally I would see the switch and I would, I would be able to navigate my way around calming him down. Um, I didn't see the switch because it happened when he was laying down. So he just popped up and went after me. And as he came at me, this is the most violent I have ever been with any person, really. And I remember in like a split second, I thought like, I can't let it. I can't anymore. Like You I were can't. defending yourself. I was defending myself, but I was also like... Because you had seen this pattern before. Like before, I mean, I had been defending myself up until this point, but a lot of it was self-defense, like you, def you'd say defensive wounds. Like a lot of the mark or wound or whatever he might have had would have been a defensive mark. This is the time, and this is the last time, and this is the time where I was like, we're going to fight now. Like I am, I'm not taking it. I'm, I'm not holding back. I'm not a victim anymore. I did have a, a what, I guess a victim mentality, which I don't like that term, but I would feel bad for hurting him, but I would always tell myself, you were just defending yourself. You're just keeping yourself safe. You know, it didn't help that a few nights before this last, his last attack on me, um, he had pushed and came downstairs and hugged him, turned and pushed him. And he came, turned, mm -hmm. turned back to me. And that was the moment I realized that he is capable. He's getting bigger. He's almost a teenage boy. And he is going to be a threat if doesn't get on his meds consistently and at this time he was not on his meds consistently and then he turned around and I had said I told to go upstairs like, don't you know don't worry about it, honey just go upstairs um and I actually I turned back to and you know his he was wearing his angry you know nobody knows and nobody's seen face and I said I'll I don't want to have to kill you don't ever put your hands on my son don't ever touch our son like that you pushed him don't ever do that I don't want to have to kill you. And I was so sincere about it. Like he switched. It scared him back into switching. I think in that moment, I may have realized that I was, that maybe I was stronger than I am. And maybe he knew that something. It gave me some sort of power though, if I'm being like real. Um, and I did mean it. He will never, nobody gets to hurt my kids. That was it. I was just like, no, no. And I punched him in the face as he was coming at me. And he tells everybody about it. She hit me first. And yeah. I did. He stumbled back and then he, he is bigger than me, especially at that time because I had lost like 40 pounds, definitely smaller than him. Um, and you know, I did, did hit him and knocked him back, but he grabbed me, threw me onto the bed with the choking and the ear pulling and the hair pulling. But I was fighting back more than I had ever fought back before. Um, you know, I was grabbing his face, digging my fingers into his eyeballs like I had before. I was biting his hand. I somehow managed to turn him around and get on top of him. And this is where I, when I say like I've sacrificed morals and I was becoming somebody I wasn't, I had the upper hand and he was asking me to get off of him, but I was, I was done. Like I was done being picked on and abused and letting him do it and making him think that he, that I was this weak thing and I was beating him up. And I would say like, I hate to say like, you know, in self-defense, because at that time, I, I was on top of him. I That's had still in self-defense. It, it is, because you endured it for so long 
that you just had enough and you were defending yourself. So yes, it is defending yourself. Because you know what comes if he gets up. Well, I exactly. wanted him to know that I could. I just would have right. wanted him to know that like, I can do this too. He now has meth-induced schizoaffective disorder from consistent meth abuse. Which you were not aware of. No, absolutely no. I mean, he struggled with drugs. He had an issue with, first it was pain meds, and then it was Adderall that he was abusing. He was buying from friends. And then I had suspicions. I had moved to Minnesota. I had left him at a bigger support system in, in Minnesota. So I had moved from um, Tennessee to Minnesota, left him in Tennessee, and I had suspicions that he was using heroin and other all kinds of drugs, but I couldn't prove it. What was causing this drastic, drastic change in him, um, this break from reality, this legitimately un irreversible mental illness that he will suffer with for the rest of his life, and that it was him using meth consistently at varying degrees for seven fucking years. I had no idea. I was like meth. I come from a town that I narrowly escaped the meth epidemic. I've lost, I have legitimately lost friends to overdosing on you know both heroin and meth. Addiction is no joke. It ruins good people's lives. It, it eats away at your brain and they become, um, especially up your here. Your body, your whole body, everything, your teeth, oh, all of it. Absolutely. It just and disintegrates it, you. It, it literally fucks, it makes you so you can't think rationally anymore physically. Well, was physical before exactly that too. He was an he asshole was, before yeah. any drug use, so he doesn't get that excuse. Exactly. I would you try. You said that was the last um, fight. Was that what ended the relationship? For me, yeah, that's what ended the relationship for me. That's when I knew divorce was the only solution. I was going through a personal crisis, obviously. I realized that I had forsaken my own moral code, which is I never wanted to be like my father. My father was extremely abusive and I was becoming somebody I didn't want to be. I would be ashamed if people found out about it. I was like, no. Like something has to change. Something has to change. And I still gave him the opportunity. I begged him to tell me what was going on. Please, you know, like, please, please, please tell me what's going on. Please let me, like, why? Why is this happening? And he, why, you know, why are you, like the isolation? And he did eventually tell me that it was, yeah, it was meth. But it was when I asked for a divorce. I was just like, we need a divorce. And I want a divorce. And he was like, fine, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I've been smoking meth. It was almost like a, I flipped my own switch. Like the fog just lifted. It was just, it was, it was like I had been um, living behind a veil. You know, you just suddenly like you you come out of the water, the storm clears, like the light gets switched on. It was just such a drastic and immediate, oh my God, what am I going through? What have I been through? What am I doing? This is insane. I can't believe that's it. Like that's it. That was it. That That's what you've been hiding from me. Unfortunately, you know, he told me, um, yes, it was the meth and he'd been going through withdrawals, which was where the depression was at. Um, cause this is all within, a, I'd say like a handful of weeks of each other. And he'd been going through withdrawals, maybe to his credit, I don't know, trying to get clean. Maybe he just couldn't get his hands on it. I have no fucking idea, but that's where the depression comes from. He would get really gassy. He would start to burp and fart all the time. And watching somebody go through those withdrawals is actually like, it's scary. If you love the person deeply, um, and, and there's somebody that you, I mean, I don't, I didn't want him to die, but I was angry. So it, I was resentful the entire time I was taking care of him, but it is scary. You know, they, they sleep and they shake and they sweat and they throw up and 
they can't eat and then they're starving and then they throw up and then um, they smell fucking weird. His body would ache. And I got him through a week of withdrawals after he told me about the... So I default to perfect wife. Default. I defaulted. Um, I had no intentions of staying with him, but I defaulted to take care, be the wife, be the mom, do good, which is what I did. I bought all these vitamins. Um, I helped him through the withdrawals, made him sure he was showering, made sure he was taking these vitamins, made sure he was eating the right things, got a hold of veterans health care. Um, it's like a facility they have to help, you know, um, veterans struggling with um, treatment. And I remember talking to that woman and he was still going through psychosis. So the paranoia was still there and it wasn't as bad as, I had, as it had been because I was making him take his meds every single day. And it was multiple times a day that he was having to take them. And it just so happened I was staying at home at that time. I lost my job. And I was able to do, you know, be there. Helped him get through the withdrawals medicines, you know, making sure he was taking care of his medication. But he would have breakthrough psychosis. And I couldn't sleep. I was, af- I was afraid to fall asleep in the house. With him in the room, I was sleeping with the boys in their bedroom. And, and I was lying to my family again. Another moral that I just <sighs> forsake. It was just, so they knew about the schizoaffective disorder, but I told them that that's what we were dealing with. I called the treatment center and she told me it would take them two months to get him out there. And I fucking broke down. And I was like, I can't do two months. I can't last two months. He's got to go now. That woman was wonderful. She, I think maybe she heard the desperation in my voice. I don't know, but I was desperate. Um, I was terrified and I was just like, please, like he, it can't be that long. I need to, he needs to go somewhere. He can't be here anymore. I can't deal with this anymore. And it was partially the fear of him harming us, a fear of relapse. The the veil was gone. Everything. I remembered everything, every time, everything, everything I would look at him. And I was so mad. I was like, I am doing this for you. And you've done this to me. And you're not even grateful. You're not even grateful. You, he legitimately to this day, blames me for his addiction issues. He blames me for that. He says it's my fault that I made him, I, I expected too much of him. Of course. And I'm like, what? Did he yeah. get to go into that facility then? Yes, she she found us a spot. A treatment center called me about 15 minutes after we hung up the phone with her. And he said that, you know, this gave me a day and time to drop him off and um, what to do until then. And that, because before he left to keep him rational, I told him that I wasn't going to divorce him. But if he went to treatment, he would come home and everything would go back to normal. And I did that because, uh, first of all, I needed him to go to treatment. (laughs) Second, I needed him to get the fuck out of the house so I could Mm -hmm. figure out how to get, you know, keep him out of the house and keep him away from us and how to start a divorce safely. And, And I knew his issue was not going to be not me being around, but I'm a possession to him. You know, he is a diagnosed narcissist. I am not a person. I'm an object. I belong to him. His issue would be me being with somebody else, somebody, me belonging in his mind to someone else and, you know, somebody playing with his toy or essentially or whatever. Uh, So I started out with telling him I wanted a separation. Um, And I explained to him that I wanted to, I wanted to know how it would feel to not feel responsible for him because Every decision was on me. Every 13 years, every decision was mine to make from dinner to whether we were moving. I found us, we have moved 13 plus times. Every time we moved, I found a house. Every time we moved, I 
did pay all the bill paying, um, ev- just everything. Like there was not ugh, fucking, he couldn't even pick out clothes for the kids. You know, like he struggled to do shit like that. Um, he couldn't pick out soap. He, he couldn't buy his own soap. Um, so when he was in the hospital, were you able to not let him come back to the house? Like when he got, he was inpatient treatment. Yeah. He was inpatient, um, long-term inpatient and not allowed to leave the grounds without a day pass. Um, I felt that's, this is why I felt safe enough to, you know, tell him I wanted the separation, not safe enough to be like, my intentions are to divorce you. Um, but safe enough to start kind of easing him into it, which is what I did. You know, I told him I wanted a separation would be doing, let let him wrap his head around that. And then we went to go see him. And I just remember feeling like, I remember feeling bad because my intentions were to divorce him. And I felt like I was lying because he was trying to love bomb me. And he was so, he was his, he was the Michael that you've seen, this joyful boyish person. Of course, because he had been, you know, he had been through the withdrawals. He had been through inpatient, um, you know, initial inpatient. He was feeling good. You know, he was taking his fucking medication consistently. They had him on all kinds of shit. They found a way to make sure that he would take his medication, his antipsychotics. They were giving him a shot now. Um, That was working really well. Works much better than the pills do. But he, it felt bad knowing that I was about to like pop that bubble, you know. Um, And I didn't like feeling, it felt like a lie. And but I also remember realizing I didn't really care that much that I just didn't, I was losing this empathy for him. I was losing any empathy I had and, um, and I was fucking angry and it was hard to not just, it's hard to let him touch me. Touching me was, made my skin crawl and he wanted to hug and he wanted to hold hands and I didn't want him to fucking be anywhere near me. And it felt like a lie pretending to be happy to see him. So I told him, I, we got home that day. And I told him I wanted a divorce and he, he had a meltdown and the divorce, the last year, the divorce was finalized in August. Good. Um, yes, very, it was fucking hell. <laughs> it did end faster. It did go much faster than most people expected. Even our lawyers were like, or my lawyer was like, this was, this went way well. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> cause unfortunately 13 years of marriage, I know how to tiptoe around him. How are you doing now? Like I said, um, you know, the last time I remember being this happy was when, um, right after he was born, I'm pretty typical of the people who go through something like this. I, I, I have PTSD, which has gotten a lot better. I mean, the more boundaries I put up, the more physical boundaries and legal boundaries, the safer and safer I felt or feel. I'm trying to learn who I am again. I think I've found myself right after I told him I wanted a divorce. I really like you know, I started working again, waitressing, which I hadn't done since I was a teenager. And I forgot how fucking personable I am. I forgot when you, when I don't have somebody standing in between me and another person, and I'm worrying about how my interaction with this person might affect, you know, my ex-husband and his treatment of me. I am so personable. I am funny. You know, like I'm just remembering these things. I'm reminding myself that just because he thinks that the people who were kind to me and complimenting of me and uh, and had, had respect for me or any admiration of me for any of my accomplishments or just parts of who I am, just because people were telling me these things about myself doesn't mean they hate him. They're not just telling me these things because they hate him. Right. You know, the people who told me that I should leave him were not telling me to leave him because they just hate him. They're telling me these things because they're true. Yeah. And 
you know, I've been going back and reminding myself of those instances when somebody was kind to me and said something nice to me to remind myself of those things. Well, I, I am so glad. I, I think I could say of all the people I've ever noticed via Facebook who are no longer married, seeing yours was the most joyful about a split that I have probably ever been. Yeah. <laughs> I was very happy to see that and Thank very you. happy to see you in a happy relationship with an adult. Yes. And I doing believe. well and smiling and it's really glad. Much like um, my friends, the people that I love, I can gush, I gush and gush and gush. And like, he, I just keep telling myself, like, this is how it's supposed to feel. You know, and once you've been through shit like this, once you've been through 13 years of this, you question everything. And, and he's been um, awesome. And then there's also this, like, aspect of, like, worthiness. I'm like, what the fuck? Why does he want to be with me? And it sucks because it's that person that you were with for 13 years that was telling you everything that you did wasn't good enough. You know, they're literally telling it to you and their actions are showing it to you. And since meeting he has been so fucking patient with me, reminding me that the things that I do for him and do for my boys and do for everybody or anybody is so incredibly valuable. It's so valuable. And just because somebody didn't value it doesn't mean it's not valuable. Like it is, it is Absolutely. very, and in the boys, that's so, it's what's wonderful too, is that like, I'm watching the boys learn from him and we've only been together for almost a year. And in that time, since introducing it to him to the boys, which is around November, I am watching my sons learn so quickly habits. You know, you become so overwhelmed with taking care of what is right. like five children. You don't have time to teach your kids to do the laundry. You don't have time to teach your kids. You just, it's just easier to say, no, I'll just do it my fucking self. But now I have this partner who is helping me legitimately. That's amazing. Me. It's incredible. It's incredible. I'm glad to leave a positive message. Yeah. We're listening. You can find that person. You don't have to settle for what you have. Like exactly. there's someone out there that's going to be amazing. So glad to see you on the other side of it. Thank you. And thank you so much for going through all of that. I know that it takes a whole lot of emotional energy and have to go through all of that. So I hope it was cathartic and helpful. And thank you so much for being willing to do this. Thank you, of Sam. Course. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Take care. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it so much. If you want to support our show further, you can share our podcast with your friends. Follow us on our socials at NGCOMPod or sign up for our Patreon to help keep the show going with a donation. Or you can become a patron for exclusive access to bonus content and interact with us and other loyal listeners on our feed. Meanwhile, if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. If you didn't, no worries, move on about your day. If you wanna share your story on our show, please visit our website at ngcompod.com to fill out the contact us form. Thanks again for listening.